Good morning. Hey, welcome to church this morning. If you are a kid, you can go to Children's Church now. Off they go. Have some fun, kids. And uh, this morning we are talking about faithfulness and gentleness. And I would like to start you off this morning with a short little video clip. Take a look at this. I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I I need to do everything from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed. I do absolutely everything. Um, Clean her teeth, uh, shower, dress, everything. And... Um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year when we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. And we grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> When we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometres on a Saturday afternoon because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo. And I can still smell it because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike, and then Glad had a bike as well, and we put a a baby chair on the front of her bike, and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives, and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess. I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it. (laughs) Any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, not at all. We love each other. Faithfulness, we often think of, in traditional wedding vows, you would say, I, state your name, 
take you to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold, to, to protect and to cherish, and for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, right, from this day forward. But we don't realize when we're making that commitment as we're saying from this day forward. And when we think about faithfulness, man, a couple that's done that for 50 or 60 years, we say that is the picture of faithfulness, right? And when we think of unfaithfulness, a lot of times, what we think is somebody who's bailed on that responsibility, has not fulfilled their responsibility in that relationship. This morning we're talking about faithfulness, and so I, I'm, we're going to jump into it right away. I want to give you a working definition of faithfulness. If you've got your notes, grab them and jump in with me this morning. Here's a working definition of faithfulness for us this morning. Faithfulness is having a good name with God and others based on the loyalty into those relationships. I'm going to say it again. Faithfulness is having a good name with God and others based on my loyalty to those relationships. When the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about bare fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit lives within us, dwells within us, we begin to bear fruit in our lives, right? You can't help it. It sort of leaks out of you, this faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and goodness. It starts to leak out of you. You don't have to white knuckle it. It's because the Spirit is within us that it begins to come, and it comes from God. It comes from His presence in our lives, from the Holy Spirit within us. Because He is faithful, We are faithful. Listen to what it says in Psalm 36, verse 5. It says this. Your what? Got to preach with me. Your what? Unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as what? It's as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches where? Beyond the clouds. God is faithful to us. He never fails us. He he never lets us stay down. He never walks away from us. He may not answer your prayers the way you want them answered, but he's present in everything. He, He may not solve your problems the way you think they should be solved, but he's always there. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. This is one of the key verses for faithfulness. It's from Proverbs chapter three, and it says this in Proverbs chapter three, verses three and four. Let love and what? Never leave you. Bind them around your what? Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your what? Put them on your heart. Then you will win favor and a what? A good name in the sight of God and man. So highlight, circle, underline that. The virtue of faithfulness is supposed to be worn. You can circle this on on your neck and then also written on your heart. It's supposed to be visible on the outside where everybody can see it if you're wearing it on your neck. And it's also supposed to be on the inside, written on the tablet of your heart. And when we are faithful, we have a good name. Like people, if you're a faithful person, people go, oh, I know I can count on that person. Oh, I know he'll show up when times are tough. Oh, he's reliable. He's a good guy. He will be there when I need him. And that's what we get when we are faithful, when we live that out, right? Faithfulness is not this one-time event. Faithfulness is spread out over a whole lifetime where we are faithful again and again and again and again. The best example of this that I can think of from Scripture is a story from the Old Testament about Joseph. How many people remember Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat? You remember that story? Okay, my job today is to tell you the story of Joseph in about seven minutes. Why that's hard is it takes like 15 chapters, okay, in Genesis. So buckle up, everybody, virtually buckle up. We're going to go really fast here. Are you ready? Here is the story of Joseph, if you don't know the story of Joseph. Joseph is a dreamer. Um, He came from a really big family, 12 brothers. Anybody from a big family? 
12 brothers. Joseph came from a, a family of 12 boys, and he, he wakes up one morning, and he's the one that has these dreams. And so he maybe should have kept some of his dreams to himself. But one morning, he shows up to breakfast, and he says, hey, guys, I had a weird dream last night. And he begins to tell them this dream about bundles of grain, and there's 12 bundles of grain, and, and then my bundle of grain was standing in the middle, and all your bundles of grain bowed down to me. Now, if you can imagine how many people have older brothers and sisters... Their response was, why, you little punk. That was their response, all right? You little punk. And they, they, they what, you think you're going to rule over us? You think you're going to be our king? I don't think so, you little runt. Uh, so, so they say, you're crazy. And, and Joseph, the next morning, wakes up and he says, guys, guys, I had another dream. And they're like, are you kidding me with the dreams? And it's a different dream, same kind of imagery, same conclusion, right? And, and so basically, these guys... They hated him, right? In the popularity structure of brothers of the 12, he hovered right at 12. Does that make sense? He was down at the bottom, okay? And they hated him. And they began to, he was kind of the favorite son. He was sort of the, how many people here are the baby in the family? Yeah, okay. Just know how we feel about you. Okay. Uh, he was the baby. He was spoiled. He had all this stuff. The babies of the family never have to struggle like us old, uh, older firstborns and middle, middle children. Anyway, he was the favorite. He got his own coat. He got special treatment. They hated him. And so they said, you know what? We're tired of this guy. Let's kill him. And they're going to kill him. And instead, at the very last second, they decide instead to sell him into slavery. They throw him in this pit. And as some trading merchants come by, they sell him into slavery on the way to Egypt. He gets to Egypt, and he's brought out really like a cow at auction. He's sold to the highest bidder, a guy by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is like the head of Pharaoh's like security detail. It would be a little bit like the guy in charge of the Secret Service in our society, okay? So he's a big, important guy. He's got a lot of money. And basically, we see that he rises to the top. Um, now, you've got to remember, Joseph doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know the culture. He's been sold to this guy as a slave. But as he serves in his family, in, in this household, he becomes more and more valuable there. And we're going to see God's faithfulness to Joseph. God is so faithful to Joseph. It says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. And so Joseph is crushing it. Now, why is Joseph crushing it? Is it because he's a great manager? Is it because he had great skills, people skills? We don't know for sure. But I would tell you, the reason that Joseph is crushing it is because he has the Lord. It's because the Lord is with him, right? Everywhere he went, God is with him. Now, that leads me to sort of a sub-point here. You can be successful without being faithful. There are people in this world who are unfaithful people, stab you in the back, and they can be successful. It's true. You can be faithful without always being successful in the world. There are people who do it the right way and never really experience that kind of success. But get this, when you are faithful, you are always successful in God's eyes. You are always successful in God's eyes. Let me give you a good example of this. Um, Senator Mark Hatfield uh, was touring. uh, He came to India to see Mother Teresa's ministry in Calcutta. If you don't know the story of Mother Teresa's ministry in Calcutta, Mother Teresa ministered to the lowest of the low. She really ministered to people who were dying. They were headed out of this world. People who were sick Uh, People who were, they needed medicine and they needed food. And honestly, they probably weren't going to make it to the next day. And this senator watched this ministry. It literally was to a place called the House of the Dying. That's what it was called. She was there to minister to the people who were dying. And he was watching this and he was overwhelmed with the sheer magnitude of the pain and suffering that was there on the streets of Calcutta. 
And eventually he said to her this, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? And Mother Teresa answered this way, I have held on to this quote my whole life. She said this, she said, my dear Senator, I am not called to be successful, but to be faithful. These people are going to die. I'm not going to stop them from dying, but I'm not called to be successful in the eyes of the world. I'm called to be faithful. And we're going to see this in the story of Joseph. Now, in the story of Joseph, we're going to see that even with God's presence, that doesn't mean the bad things don't happen to people who are faithful. And we see in the story that Joseph was a young man. He was handsome and and well-built. And eventually, Mrs. Potiphar takes an interest in Joseph. She starts looking at him lustfully. So Joseph's been faithful. God's been faithful to Joseph. Joseph's been faithful to Potiphar. Mrs. Mrs. P is not faithful, okay? She's an unfaithful woman. She's trying to get Joseph in her bed. And basically, Joseph remains faithful. He rejects Mrs. P again and again and again. And eventually, Mrs. Potiphar basically claims sexual harassment and gets Joseph in trouble, and Joseph is thrown in prison. So he's in prison. He's stuck in prison. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's stuck in prison, right? And sometimes the faithful will suffer for being faithful. It's true. Sometimes if you are faithful, you will suffer for being faithful. But get this. While Joseph is in prison, he has this encounter with a couple of people. There's a cupbearer and a baker. And he says to these two guys, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. What do you want first? What do you want first? Good news or the bad news? Good news? Bad news? Good news? Bad news? bad news. Get the bad news out of the way, right? So he says to the baker uh, who had a dream, he said, I got this dream. He says, I got bad news for you. Your dream means you're going to death row. They're going to kill you. And he looks over to the cupbearer and he says, I got good news for you. You're going back to the palace. You're going back to the throne room. You're going to be reinstated, which is a bummer of a day for a baker, don't you think? It's not a great day. And so sure enough, that's exactly the way it goes down. The cupbearer goes back. And as the cupbearer is going back to the throne room of Pharaoh, Pharaoh, biggest guy in the land, he says, remember me, remember me, remember me. And of course, this cupbearer is like, you gave me good news. Of course, I'm going to remember you. Of course, I'll tell you. I got, I got you, boo. That's what he says, okay? He says, I got you. But get this. It says in the scriptures, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. Forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, I want you to imagine Joseph. He's stuck in prison. He's been nothing but faithful his, all the time, and he's full of hope. The cupbearer's going to Pharaoh. I should be able to get out of prison, right? Maybe I'll be rescued from this. And we read, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you just read and you keep reading, and you read from the end of one chapter to the next verse of the next. And, and we read that last verse where it says, he forgot all about Joseph. And the very next verse is the beginning of chapter 41, and it says this, two full years later, two full years later, and Pharaoh has a dream. Now, I want you to talk about this. Two, that's two years of sitting in jail. Two years, that was two, sorry, three, two. Two years Somebody caught that. I got you. Two years sitting in, can you imagine sitting in, year, in, in jail for two years? 24 months. 104 weeks. Right? 730 days. Every day waking up going, man, I wonder if he's going to mention me to Pharaoh today. I wonder, and he's been nothing but faithful. Let me ask you, how bitter would you get in two years waiting for that? God's been faithful. I've been faithful. Why am I sitting in jail? 
And, and you think you might lose your faith, but he didn't. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Dreams are the center of this. And Pharaoh's not sleeping well, and he has this dream. And, and as he's talking about this dream, the cupbearer hears the dream, and the cupbearer has that aha moment. You ever had that aha moment? He goes, hold on a second. There's a guy. He, he told me the meaning of my dream. I was in prison. What was that guy's name? It was two years ago. Is it Jim? Is it Jerry? Is it Josiah? What, what was his name? Oh, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. That's his name. He's in the prison. You should go ask Joseph. And sure enough, they bring Joseph back to the palace, into the throne room, and he outlines his dream. And basically, Joseph says, I know what your dream means. I know exactly what it means. Here's what it means. Your dream means that the kingdom is going to have seven years of feast. You're going to have the best crops you've ever had in seven years, followed by seven years of famine. You're not going to have any food in the land anywhere. It's going to be a little bit like a California drought. You know what I'm talking about here, right? We, this has been our year to fill the reservoirs. They're going down again. Manage it well. And so Joseph says, gives him this, and basically the guy says, wow, that actually makes sense. And then Pharaoh goes, you know, there's just something about you. I like you. You seem smart. You seem good. I'll tell you what. I'm going to put you in charge of everything in Egypt. That's a good day in the throne room, by the way. He went from prisoner to the next day, he was like the prime minister of Egypt. He went from prisoner to basically prince of Egypt in one day. One day's time, that's what happened. Now, basically, after that all plays out and you've got the seven years of feast and the seven years of famine, everybody's starving and all the land surrounding Egypt. Egypt is the only one prospering because they set aside grain. Basically, some people from all the other lands come back to Egypt asking for help. And who shows up? Joe's brothers. Joe's bros. They show up and, and they don't recognize Joe. But basically, they're like, we're in trouble. We need help. And what does Joseph do? Joseph, despite everything I assume that was in him, instead shows mercy and grace and faithfulness to his own family. To the family that sold him into slavery. And in the process, God is using this whole story to show his faithfulness, not just to Joseph, not just to his brothers, but to entire nations that would have gone hungry and starved. Now, I want to make sure you get the story. Ready? God is faithful to Joseph. Joseph is faithful to his master, Potiphar. God is faithful to Joseph again and gets him out of jail. Joseph is faithful to his brothers despite their evil and, and, the, and selling him into slavery. And then God is faithful to an entire nation through the whole story of that. And so here's the story. Faithfulness leads to faithfulness leads to faithfulness leads to faithfulness. And that is faithfulness. Over a long stretch, you see faithfulness. Which leads me to the shortest sermon ever, you're thinking to yourself, aren't you? Suckers. Take a look at this. Wow, I'm just absolutely overwhelmed by the response to that little video we made uh, a little while ago. And it's gone around the world, and wow, I don't understand this internet thing at all. But there it is. But I tell you what, it's revealed something to me that there's a huge longing out there in our world for true love. For love that, well, obviously people have seen that kind of love in the, in the little things that I've been able to do for my wife. Uh, I've had some lovely responses, and... These responses are, well, for example, Marg writes, she says, Oh dear, watching this clip in the local library was not a good idea. I was so moved by the sheer depth of this man's love for his wife, I ended up sobbing. The story is beautiful. <laughs> Poor Marg. Jill says, that just made me cry. What a lovely man, and I adore the tiara. Well, that tiara, let me tell you, is from my cheeky daughter, 
who gave it to her mum, and uh, you can blame her for that. But it's Jessiel who writes. He says, I want God to put this love in my heart. He's right. This is the love that comes from God. It's the love that God puts in our heart because God is love and love is from God. It's a selfless kind of love. It's not a love that's Hollywood style or soppy. It's not necessarily only a feeling. In fact, it's doing things. And this is the love that says, what can I do to meet the need of those around me? You see, there's two great principles in our world. One is to love God and the second is to love your neighbor. My nearest neighbor is this lovely girl of mine, this wife of mine, and I love her. And when I have every opportunity, I want to do whatever she needs to meet her needs. So thank you so much for contacting us. It's just a real, real thrill to me to know that you've watched and you've appreciated what is happening in our lives. That's what faithfulness is. It's strung out actions of love over and over and over again in a faithful path, basically, over time. And faithfulness comes from God. It comes from God. You can't be faithful on your own. You need God's love and God's faithfulness and God's presence. So how do we get some of that faithfulness? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of little principles here how to get some faithfulness in your life. And the first is knowing, knowing that God is with you. You have to have this sense that God is with you at all times. You can be faithful because God is continuing to be faithful in you. The reason that Joseph was able to prosper is because he knew God was with him at all times, whether he was in the palace or in the prison. He knew God was present with him. And and when you're in a dungeon like he was, right, it feels like God is far away. Some of you may feel that way today. You're sitting here and you're like, boy, with what I'm going through, it feels like God is pretty far away. Let me tell you one thing. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. They lie to you all the time. They lie to you based out of your past. They lie to you based out of your insecurities. Your feelings will lie to you. Let me tell you the truth. God is with you. He's with you. Everywhere you go, every circumstance you're in, he's right there. The presence of God is not measured by how goosebumpy you feel. Okay, God is present. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 31 says. It says, so be what? And what else? Strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will what? He will personally go ahead of you. And he will neither what? He won't fail you or, or abandon. He won't fail you nor abandon you. So wherever you are, you know that God is with you. He is being faithful to you and so you can be faithful. And then the next step is really a simple step. It's this. It's do the next right thing. That's what faithfulness is. You just choose to do the next right thing over and over and over again. Do the next right thing. When Potiphar's wife puts the moves on Joseph, he does the right thing. He doesn't get involved. When, when uh, he's in prison and the opportunity arrives to interpret a dream with God's help, he just does the right thing and interprets the dream no matter what it says, whether it's good or bad. When the cupbearer finally calls him to the throne room, he does the next right thing. He interprets the dream for Pharaoh. When he gets promoted to prime minister of Egypt, he does the next right thing. He manages the, the stores of grain so that the people will live. And when his brothers show up, no matter how much he probably wanted to punish them. Instead, he does the next right thing and he's faithful to them and he loves them and he expresses grace to them. We just do the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing. That's what we do. What is that for you? 
Man, if your marriage is struggling, then the next right thing is to honor your spouse. I don't care what they did. I don't care how bad it is. You do the next right thing. If you're, a, if you're a, uh, in a situation where you need to forgive someone and, and you know what they've done to you and you want to hold on to, but you know the next right thing is to forgive them. I need to forgive them. No matter how hard that is, God has been so faithful to me, I will be faithful to forgive them. I got a hunch whatever they did to you isn't the same as tossing you into a pit and selling you into slavery. Maybe it's, this happens in everyday life, right? If you're a, if you, you need to show up to work, no matter what, what kind of they're giving you at work, no matter what trouble they're giving you at work, you show up and you do your job. You do it the best way that God has made you to do your job. Because we work as if to the Lord, not to men. You do the next right thing. You're in school. You guys are in school. You show up and you do your thing at school. And you do it in a way that honors God and is faithful to the people around you. I don't care if your teachers are railroading you or your, the other students are giving you a hard time. You do your thing, right? You do the next right thing. That's what makes you a faithful person. That's what makes you faithful. To the gr- degree that we are faithful to God, we'll see that God is faithful to us. And Joseph went from the prison to the palace in one day. Can you imagine if you just do the next right thing and one day you wake up and God has blessed you beyond your wildest dreams? Because that's what happened to Joseph. Do the next right thing. Just keep doing the next right thing. And then someday, we hope to hear this. In Matthew 25. Then the master said, what did he say? Well done. What else? My good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this what? Small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. What does he say? Let's celebrate together. That's what faithfulness looks like in the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. So the second half of this is gentleness. And I'm trying to tie together gentleness and faithfulness. And, and faithfulness is this long direction of, of being faithful again and again and again. But I want to talk about gentleness a little bit here. When I think about gentleness, what I think about is Mr. Rogers. Anybody else think about gentleness when you think of Mr. Rogers? I grew up when Mr. Rogers was on TV and he had his little sweater and his shoes. And some of you know Mr. Rogers looks a lot more like Tom Hanks in your world. I know what you're talking about. But, but I thought of Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers never got upset. He was such a good neighbor. He never raised his voice. He was like the picture of gentleness for a generation of kids. And although I liked Mr. Rogers, I didn't want to be Mr. Rogers. Who I wanted to be was Rocky Balboa. Right? Who I wanted to be was Luke Skywalker. I wanted to be Luke. Not, I didn't want to be Mr. Rogers. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Or, or who I wanted to be would be Magnum P.I. How many people remember Magnum P.I.? Right? And, and, uh, and who I wanted to be was really any member of the A-team, right? And as I was putting this list together, I realized how very old I am. I'm so old. So for the young kids, let me help a little bit here. The, any member of the A-team, there was a newer A-team. Does everybody remember that in the movies? No, nobody remembers that. Okay, who I really wanted to be was a guardian of the galaxy. There we go. How about that? No. Okay, four of you. Good. All right. I didn't want to be gentle. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be bad. Right? That's what I wanted to be. So what does it mean to be 
gentle. Well, here's, here's a definition of gentleness. Let's work from this de- definition of gentleness. Gentleness is being what? Thoughtful. What else? Considerate and calm in my dealings with others. I know you're writing. That's okay. Gentleness is being thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my dealings with others. If I'm thoughtful, I think before I speak. How many people have trouble with that? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Uh, If I am considerate, it means I think about the other person before I think about what I'm supposed to get out of this situation. And if I'm calm, I don't need to raise my voice to get my point across. What does the Bible say about gentleness? Well, let's take a, here's a key verse for us for gentleness. Philippians 4, 5 says this. Let your what? Gentleness be what? Evident to all. The Lord is near. You guys seeing some parallels there? Gentleness, evident to all. It's almost like you wear your gentleness on your neck and show everyone that, that the Lord's presence will allow you to be gentle. Our gentleness should be evident to all, but most people don't find gentleness easy. In fact, I read this. um, It was basically a survey. Gallup did a survey on 30 spiritual concepts, and he listed these 30 spiritual concepts, and they wanted to figure out which was the most difficult for people. And the number one most difficult thing for people to master is gentleness. And the way that they wrote this survey out was, this was the line they wrote in it. Um, this was the question they said. In the study, it said, I am not known as someone who raises my voice. And most people could not answer that truthfully. We live in a harsh world. Would you agree with that? Seems like everybody is hard. How many people know, when you get cut off in traffic, how many people, your first response is, well, I could see why they did that. I mean, I'm in a hurry, too. I understand that. No, 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 no. We immediately go to, you idiot, right? Oh, it's just me. Right, okay, gotcha. We, we, we know that it, that's how it works. We live in this harsh world. The question is, how do we live in that harsh world with gentleness? So let me give you a couple of ideas how to display gentleness in our world. And the first is this. How to display gentleness? Give gentle answers. Give some gentle answers. Proverbs 15.1 says this. A gentle answer, what does it do? Deflects anger. But harsh words make what? Tempers flare. Some people have no idea. They have no thought for the destruction of their words. One of the primary ways that we can display gentleness is through the words that we speak. Some people say, well, I just tell it like it is. And my response is, do you know there is a fine line between telling it like it is and you're just a jerk, right? People say, well, I, I, hey, hey, I speak the truth. Well, if you don't speak the truth in love, you're not going to have anyone to speak the truth to. That's, that's just the truth, right? Uh, there's a lot of destruction that can happen in, in those moments, right? And so um, listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. It says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for what? Say it again. Every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or what? Does that worry anybody else? Every idle word, you're keeping track of every idle word, God, right? 
Wouldn't it be great if we had like a translator, something that was Bluetooth that we could just stick in our ear and instead it would translate the gentle response for something? Like, like when somebody does something to you, you're like, okay, okay. That was a bad choice. <laughs> right? You, 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 but instead, we just fly off the handle, right? We, we do everything we can. And, and if we had a Bluetooth that would filter our, oh, man, I would pay big money for that. Would you pay big money for that? Something that would make me more gentle. Here's the thing. We actually do have something like that. It's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. The Holy Spirit that basically translates for us what is the gentle response. You don't have to be harsh. The Holy Spirit will say, you could word it this way. You could do it this way. He gives us a gentle answer because it's already in us. How many people have ever seen a kid throw a hissy fit in Walmart? How many people have ever seen an adult throw a hissy fit in Walmart, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You people that are just, they're going crazy and they're flipping out and they're going wild and you're like, well, how old are you, right? I don't understand. I know some adults that throw hissy fits, right? They start shouting and insulting people and they go crazy and they say anything and everything and they're just inconsiderate of people. Karens. I don't know why it's Karens. Does anybody know why it's Karens? The, the Karens I know are the most lovely people that I've ever met, but somehow Karens got branded as the, the women who are, who are rude. Do you know what men are called who are rude and inconsiderate and loud and throwing a hissy fit? The men. They're just called men is what they're called. Um, it's not good for any of us. But the truth of the matter is, is this. It's pretty simple. When we speak harshly to someone, our heart gets hard. And when we speak softly and gently to people, our heart softens up. And we, it becomes more and more responsive to God. The second way we can demonstrate gentleness is this. Through gentle actions. Through gentle actions. Gentle words lead to gentle actions where you... It says, let our gentleness be evident to all, right? If it's going to be evident to all, you got to act gently. I have been watching the NBA basketball playoffs recently, and in the basketball playoffs, there are a lot of fouls. There are a lot of fouls. There are a lot of hard fouls. There are a lot of technical fouls. There are flagrant fouls. Somebody's grabbing somebody else's ankle and tripping them. The other guy's stomping on his chest. And there is an age-old description for all sports. Most, most people know this. If you've watched sports for any length of time, the guy who gets the foul, the guy who gets the penalty is always the guy who retaliates. The first thing goes unnoticed, and then it's the guy who retaliates that ends up in trouble and ends up in the foul. The funny thing about that is, is that our natural response to being wronged is to, is to take revenge. Our natural response is to get them back, to show them, not to act gently. And the funny thing about that is, is that is the natural reaction. What we want is something not natural. What we need is something supernatural, that comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us. Listen to what it says here. I love this passage from Romans chapter 12. It says this, never pay back evil with what? Don't pay it back with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. That is a verse that resonates in my head over and over again throughout the week. Live in such a way that I can live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures 
say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, what are we supposed to do? Feed them. If your enemies are, if they are thirsty, what are we supposed to do? Give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by what? Does that sound tough to anyone? It's tough. It's tough to not want to take revenge. We seek revenge because we've been hurt, we've been injured, we've been wronged. But we have to give those hurts and burdens to God and allow that to turn into gentle actions. And here's the last thing. Last thing is we have to let all of that develop gentle attitudes in us. That we become gentle on the inside. We become gentle people. How do we naturally live as gentle people? We have to approach every situation with a gentle word and every situation with a gentle action and, and, and you have to basically move that direction and eventually when you do that long enough, you start to see gentleness as who you are, becomes who you are on the inside. And this is not something you have to white knuckle. This is the Holy Spirit inside of you and as the Spirit takes more control over you, you find yourself becoming more and more gentle people. You don't have to raise your voice at the kids. You can say to your kids, why? (laughs) There were so many other choices you could have made. You don't have to fly off the handle at an employee. You can redirect them in a way that is gentle. And by the way, this gets far better results, just so you know. You, you, but we, we think we have to be harsh with our kids. We think we have to be harsh with other people. And, and gentleness is effective. Gentleness works. Gentleness won't destroy a relationship in the long term. Listen to what it says here. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. What else? Kindness. Kindness. What else? What else? And one more. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We become gentle people. Which leads me to? See, I got you. Got you with two so what's this week. Jesus, in in the Sermon on the Mount, gives this one moment where he makes this bold statement. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says this. Blessed are the... Meek, for they will what? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. The NIV uses this word meek, and I think part of the reason we struggle with meek is because it rhymes with weak. A lot of people think gentleness is weakness, but gentleness is the exact opposite of weakness. In fact, if you look back at Galatians chapter 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is listed, the Greek word, proutis, it means strength under control. It means a sheathed sword. That's what gentleness is. Get this. Gentleness, at its root, is power under control. It's power under control. It is not weakness. It is not weakness at all. Think of a powerful animal. Take a look at this. You want us to stay in the gun? Obviously. Give me this? Yeah, sure. Maggie! Give me this! Maggie! Yeah, she comes. How you want to Slowly, slowly, slowly! 
<laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Where have you been? Oh, you've been. <laughs> Let's just go back. These a bit. lions are not gentle, right? <laughs> As a kid, they're I not weak. Really, they could tear him apart from limb to limb, but because they they choose to be gentle with him, because they have a relationship with him, they choose to be gentle. Some people think Jesus is weak. They they paint him as Mr. Rogers wearing a, a robe and, a, and has a beard. But Jesus was not weak. Some people see Jesus walking around saying, love your neighbor. Wouldn't you be mine? Would you be my neighbor? But Jesus, let me get this. Jesus had the power of heaven and earth at his disposal. Jesus at any time could have called down a legion of angels to do his bidding. But instead, he restrained that power. He was gentle in that moment. Jesus wasn't weak. He's the embodiment of gentleness and power under control. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says, you must have the same attitude that who? Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he what? Gave up his divine privileges. He took the what position? The humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. Where? On a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor, to the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all others' names. Jesus was God. He had all the power in the world, and he gave up his power. As they were leading him to the cross, he could have called down fire from heaven, a legion of angels, but instead he willingly gave up his power for you and I. He humbled himself and died on the cross. Jesus chose to be gentle with us. Because we deserved punishment for our sin. He chose to be faithful to us. Even though we deserve the punishment for our sin. And really that's what communion is all about. It's this remembrance of when Jesus through faithfulness and gentleness. Humbled himself and gave his life on the cross. So that's what we remember when we take communion. We're going to take communion here in a moment. The worship team is going to come back up. And as we take the bread, if, you, if, if you're new with us here, if you, hold the bread as we pass out the bread. Hold the bread and we will take that all together as a church. And then as we pass the cup, you can hold on to the cup and just in your own personal and private time, whenever you're ready, you go ahead and take the cup. But I'm... Uh, I'm loving that I've got some of my high schoolers that I, I just love these smiling faces in front of me. Um, Sophia, would you pray for the cup? Thanks. Oh, bread. Sorry. You do you, do you girl. That's on me. Dear Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your sacrifice for us. Lord, we take this bread as a symbol of your body broken for us. Amen. On the night he was betrayed... He broke bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On that same night, he took a cup of wine 
said this cup is the new covenant between God and his people and it's been sealed with my blood he says do this in remembrance of me Maddie would you come and pray for the cup May you experience God's faithfulness to you and may it translate into faithfulness in your life. Just do the next right thing and may God's gentleness overwhelm you and may that lead you to gentle words and gentle actions and eventually a gentle attitude and a gentle heart. Father God, as we let your Holy Spirit reign in our world and in our lives, as as your Holy Spirit begins to direct our minds and our thoughts and our hearts, may it leak out through our our lips and our actions, God, in ways that are faithful and gentle to a world that is struggling with unfaithfulness and harshness. May we be a light to that lost and hurting world, God. I'm so thankful for your gentleness to us that you gave your life and that you let your son hang on a cross, God. Father, let us embody that as we go out into our world. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.